Discussing documentaries with me, Matt Wills, and the brilliantly funny Rick Wharton. Today on Discussing Documentaries, we are going to discuss Minimalism, a documentary about the important things. It was released in 2018. It's currently on Netflix. The director was Matt D'Avalier. Uh, the box office gross, just for the geeks out there, according to IMD, IMDB, sorry, it was $251,000. And the documentary is about people who are dedicated to rejecting the American ideal that things bring happiness. Uh, They are interviewed in this documentary and they're showing the virtues of less is more. How might your life be better with less? The accolades are huge. Um, So... Are you ready? Fargo, 2016, official selection. It was the winner in 2015 of the most inspirational at the Orlando Film Festival. Uh, it goes on and on and on. Big Sky, winner. Film, another film. Fe- it's, there's loads of them. Even at Raid, Rain Dance, it was the official selection. St. Louis, it was the official selection. It just There's 16 accolades. I'm not going to bore you with them. If you want to know about them, check out Wikipedia. I would be intrigued to know if they kept the trophies. <laughs> so the whole documentary. Um, now, this documentary changed my life and this is definitely a my selection. So let's let's start with asking Rick. What did you reckon, Rick? Yeah, I saw a lot of Matt Wills in this documentary. <laughs> a lot of Matt Wills. <laughs> Saw a fucking army of Matt Wills's in this documentary. I even took a screenshot of the. Uh... <laughs> I took a screenshot of the. Do you know when you type in Netflix, you're looking for minimalism, the documentary, and it shows you the similar two documentaries. I saw five that I just hope I never have to oh. watch, like Tiny House. I love Tiny House, <laughs> the Tiny House documentary. Oh, the Tiny House series. You're going to love that oh, bit. S- skydive into nothing <laughs> <laughs> that's a week that's a week of podcasts right there all right so so yeah it's like i said i thought i, I would go because I, I was hoping i was hoping to get our last to watch this with us because she's got a lot of shit she can get rid of but uh alas I, i'd left it too late so it was just me writing solo on this one so the documentary starts off and it's very very well used footage when they're talking about consumerism they show the footage of the fights during Black Friday yeah. sales. And uh, I got to be honest, I, I could have watched that for the 89 minutes. Like, it's that horrific, was... isn't it? Absolutely horrific. Oh, it's brutal. Yeah, yeah. It is brutal. But it is like, um, I haven't seen, obviously you've introduced me to wrestling, and I haven't got up to seeing a Royal Rumble yet. But I kind of guess that's what a Royal Rumble is like, is the Black Friday sale in America. It's uh, no um, people of color have a chance of winning on Black right. Friday. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you look at the amount of champions of color in wrestling, you can tell it's scripted by a white right, guy. Right. Okay. So this documentary, uh, again, this changed my life. Right. So I watched this documentary about when would that be? About three years ago. 
It was literally as we just first met because you were harping on about this. Oh, stuff. Really? right. Okay. All right. So, right. Okay. So, this was this was the gig we went up to Hull. to Hull with uh, Levine, Levine and yeah, yeah. Love. Yeah. So, I watched this documentary with my missus, and my missus, like you, Rick, is from the north of England, where she understands the value of things. Now, I'm from the south of England, where we haven't got a fucking clue. And I've I've spent my entire life collecting nonsense, absolute nonsense. And I watched this documentary and I went, God, this documentary is all right. Everything I own is shit. I need to get rid of it. And <laughs> last, last Sunday, last Sunday, the final box left my house. I'm now down to probably just not many possessions, right? I've got rid of, I reckon... 85% of my possessions. Wow. And I genuinely feel better for it. And then re-watching this documentary to talk about it, I then realised what a wanker I am. Because <laughs> I was watching well, these was... two geezers going, oh, lads, come on. No, how did how did I get suckered into... I want all my stuff back. Give me my stuff back. Do you know what? I thought that would be the end of the podcast by us talking about that. I, I assumed that was happening because, listen... It starts off, and uh, i got to be honest, my note-taking for this documentary was very in-keeping. They were minimalistic. Right. Um, <laughs> as I said before we started the podcast, Matt, I didn't learn many people's names in this. So the first guy we're going to talk about was uh, Longboard Jesus. First guy, he's got long hair, and you see him on that weird skateboard traveling around. Now, what age is this man on the skateboard, would you say? I would say that guy's Gotta be 30, 34. His name is Ryan Nicodemus. Ryan Nicodemus. Now he says something and it's very echoed throughout anyone who starts this is like, I was really successful, but I didn't feel like I was living. And then they go into the consumer. <laughs> Don't forget, you're talking to the guy who quit his reasonably well-paying job to hang around with you and do uh, stand-up comedy and, and what, be poor. What? What did your very good friend tell you when you said you were going to do that? Don't be an idiot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's a very wise man, The, uh, the my podcast buddy here. <laughs> Don't be fooled by the fact I sound like I'm chilled out on occasions. <laughs> I, my, my life's a horror show due to my decisions. Well, I thought I was unique because everyone I've ever spoken to about this documentary, they've all looked at me the same way you're looking at me now, like... You really are an idiot, and you are so susceptible. But they have... It's it's fads. It's fads. It's, but they have a following like, of 20 they say stuff. million people. Yeah, that's almost as many as the flat earthers. I wouldn't <laughs> put those in the category of being right. So they all say a similar thing, and they just chuck out little bits and nuggets of information, but it's very cleverly like gone through. So they'll show you like busy high streets in London and uh, uh, and like the unstable stoppable oppression of capitalism yeah and you'll see commuter towns as people funneling into a train station to go to go to work and i heard this one they go that's why lottery winners are miserable and it's like no <laughs> right let me get to i've heard like you may have heard three stories where lottery winners are miserable and i guaranteed that's because the bloke got a couple of million and thought he could bang teenagers again <laughs> Yeah, I must. Have, I won a tenner on the lottery once. I was over the moon. That was a great day. The admin staff at my secondary school won the lottery in a syndicate. Oh wow! So they all got like a huge, huge chunk of cash, and you'd have like the secretaries pulling up in all much better co uh, cars than the head teachers. Oh, but they carried <laughs> on some working. of the teachers. Yeah, it wasn't enough because it was like national lottery, and between X amount of them, right. I don't know how much they got. But um, 
Yeah, they, they, they all had like a couple of them had lottery winners mugs, but a few of them didn't chip in a quid every week, so they lost out on. I imagine six figures at least. Oh, like, that's always been my my fear since stopping the lottery is that I I win it with my numbers. So I've stopped checking the numbers as well now. I don't want nothing to do with it. There was a bit that we we've made another comedian pass between us, but um, I had this boss who used to play the same numbers as his ex wife. And the idea was just like, uh, yes, it's not that he wants to win, it's he couldn't handle her winning. <laughs> <laughs> and he wants, he wants his chance to get half. Gets. Yeah. So Ryan Nicodemus, uh, you're right, he is way too old for a skateboard. It's like a modern version of Back to the Future. And th- what I loved about this doc- documentary, for me, because they kept bringing in PhD neuroscientists, new- neuropsych psychologists was it there was a lot of neuros they brought in a lot of was that the lady with the purple top and glasses she was very smart she was great uh she but she said something that really stuck out she's talking about adverts and how people use adverts as a a measuring stick for how successful Mm. they are and uh you go this is an advert this is an advert you go and then she said you could be talking to someone in a bar but that's actually a man placed there by the beer company yeah. to talk to you. And I just had this image in my mind of um, having a chat. And you know Duffman from The yes. Simpsons? It turned around going, I can't believe that's an advert. I just had a chat with him for five <laughs> minutes. And he's like, oh, yeah. Duffman. <laughs> well, the idea that, pe- that having to place people in bars to talk to you about a beer is... Horrifying. Well, because they'll buy you for life then, right? So if they can switch... When I first started, like, really big drinking, so sort of in the sort of early 90s, you'd go out in the West End of London or in the city and some scantily clad women would come up to you and they would say, hey, if you give me a cigarette or if you give me what's left in your cigarette packet, I'll give you a pack of these Marlboro Lights, 20 and you'd go, oh, okay, well, I've got 10 left. I don't I don't really like Marlboro Lights. And she said, all right, we'll take nine of them out. Just give me the box with one in it. I'll give you 20 cigarettes. And it was to get you onto their brand. Marlboro because Lights. then, That's very Well, smart. then they've got you for life, right? And it's only cost them, effectively, a pack of fags. And it worked. I smoked Marlboro, I smoked Marlboro Red for three years. Great cigarette. And <laughs> another uh, another telltale sign of a man who doesn't like money. <laughs> <laughs> what? Twenty quid a packet, yeah, well worth. Oh that. <laughs> man, I loved a Marlboro. Yeah, and then a Marlboro light. When I thought, well, Marlboro Reds can't be good for you. Let's switch switch to a different colour box. <laughs> can I can I get that dyed cancer, yeah. please? Um, well, here's the thing. So everyone you kind of meet, which is in the minimalist world, they all start with a very similar rhetoric of um i'm so happy now i'm doing this now here's the thing about happy people they don't go on a quest to recruit people no right we're just happy the one thing is misery loves company (laughs) right if you have mates with kids they will tell you that having kids is the best fucking thing in the world until you have a kid and then they're like it's it's awful (laughs) isn't it oh no no, we can hang out. And uh, this is exactly the feeling I got. I think you've you've subscribed to it now. Obviously, you've told all your friends with some pathetic Facebook status you've given away everything. And now you can't go back on what you've started. So you're yeah. like, this is us now. This is just, isn't it great? I, I don't even miss having a T-shirt that was comfortable. I, I made this. <laughs> this is- <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> You're living off the lint out of your tumble dryer. It's uh, yeah. 
I just found it was more spiritual if I had to spit on my dishes to clean them. <laughs> but it was it was lines like this that really hooked me in. Why are the people in the West experiencing the best standard of living ever, yet they still want more? Because the stuff's great. That's why. <laughs> it's, it's great stuff. You I, keep giving me the stuff. Yeah, like uh, we're the only species on, for as far as we know, any planet where emotions exist. Right. <laughs> you got no... You got you got no ants in the colony worried that they're going to be fucking middle management for fifteen years, and then <laughs> well, you don't know maximized that. and they've maximized their earning capacity. You don't know that there could be an ant who's like working its way up. You don't have bees following their dreams. Like this is the only we're well, the only species which has evolved beyond survival. If you look at like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. <laughs> <laughs> Self-actualization is something you want at the age of 19 because you've got an Instagram account now. (laughs) But this this documentary, I I cannot believe it had such an effect on my life. And then just as I was watching it, I was just like, oh, man, I I, I felt a little bit suckered. But the other side of it is this is now, what, two years later. Now I've got rid of all my shit. And I could probably get rid of a lot more of my shit. Um, I am a lot happier. I, I must admit, I'm just to not having all of this stuff, I, I feel lighter mentally. I've got a theory which I'm going to save to later on as to why that is. Not particularly of you, but the people in right. uh, in the documentary. So because I'm the English the version main... of one of them, aren't I? Basically, and and the fact that an and, and you've chosen to hang around with me, which is the weirdest thing. Listen, and... my 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 inner circle is chaos. Okay, since I'm so stagnant. <laughs> You have to be some level of super unsuccessful or mental to stick around it. That's the only way. I don't jettison people out of my life. They just, you know, progress. And I'm still sat in a wingback chair. I've just now got someone to talk to, Matt. <laughs> this is how much I, I got stuff, right? And I was really into this buying culture. On my phone, I have an applications folder and it's called Got Shit, Get More. And it's got Amazon, eBay, all of them. It's got everything when you can buy stuff. They're all in oh, there. Oh, shit. Aren't you, aren't you crackers for shoes as well, though? You yeah. Got, like, a huge shoe Massive collection. Massive shoe collection. You keep those or did they go? I kept the shoes. <laughs> you kept the shoes. Yeah, all right. I can, Rick, I am human after all. I'm not a fucking machine. Hey, I, I, I just thought I would check. I remember how you reacted to that gig when some guy said he had a limited edition pair of Nikes and you did a backflip. Yeah. I love shoes, man. So, so there's there's longboard guy and his mate. So basically, longboard guy. What's his name before I call him after the, the rest? The, of that? He's the greatest name ever, Ryan Nicodemus. All right, so Nicodemus, he goes into he's high flying. He's got this best friend who's high flying in this firm. It sounds like they're management consultants. And he asks them uh, why. Are, no, they're doing something about phone sales because that comes. That was into like it marketing. Next. They're in marketing. Yeah, it's Bill Hicks, isn't it? If you're in marketing. Kill yourself. I tell you what, that routine on It's Just a Ride documentary has cost so many comedians money. <laughs> <laughs> and he turns around and he asks his friend, why are you so happy? Yeah. And then he explains minimalism, which this is the point that I get. All right. Happy people and especially American happy people, it is so coercive. You just want to gravitate and somehow be a little bit more like them. Yeah. Like me. I mean, if you've heard one of these podcasts, you'd assume I'm not a happy person. I'm, I'm relatively happy, but I'm very grounded. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't ever, 
I like to remain between a four and a seven of happiness, and then you miss a brick that's flying above that eight that's willing to knock you back down and level out the playing field. So the Nicodemus is talking about how uh, his friend, who was super happy, he worked with, explained minimalism to him, and he went along with him. And it's like a cult, isn't it? Exactly. There is some culty elements into it. Um, but he was talking about when he was in uh, four, and he was trying to develop ways to sell phones to five-year-olds. Yeah. And that triggered me because uh, I'm not sure if I mentioned it in the past, but I used to work in a phone shop. Now, the phone shops were awful to work in. Absolutely awful because they're like competitive sales, but for minimum wage and no commission. So it's it, it doesn't compute the way they're talking to you like they're in the Wolf of Wall Street. Because right. <laughs> people are going to buy the phone anyway, right? Yeah, they, they come into a store to get their contract renewed. And I was working in Cobham, which is like proper posh Chelsea area, like the Chelsea football players all live right. around there. And we're getting told off we're not selling enough Microsoft Lumias. And it's just like, look, these are all super rich kids. They're going to buy an iPhone and then they're going to leave. That's, that's, yeah. they're going to come in and, and that's it. And, and we're now living in a world where mobile phones aren't unknown to us you would google the best offer and then go and get the best yeah. offer it, there's no salesmanship so every couple of months what they would do is they would si- hire a new area manager who has a super technique that's going to get the best out of the stores spoiler alert he's going to come around and he's going to bollock all the staff slightly harsher than what the last guy did to get the best out of them yes yeah, the bully boy approach it always works for a short period of time so we get a, um, a visit, and he was in character. Like, he was fully, do you know, in Pulp Fiction when they're getting ready to go up and see um, the two guys? Yeah, yeah, in the beginning. The guys they yeah, should yeah. shoot. Yeah, he goes, yeah, let's get, hang back, let's get in character. Like, he was psyching himself up in the car for this dressing down because it had just been a bank holiday, and we had no sales. And the problem is, in Cobham, on a bank holiday, everyone goes abroad. No one's around, so it is dead. you you got the run of the place to yourself. There's, like, tumbleweeds going past because it's just so affluent. So he comes in. And he says, uh, how come you're the only shop that didn't get sales on a bank holiday? Uh, I pointed out the fact that everyone's away. And he says, how come the sensor on that door opened 40 times? And I had to look at him and say, because I went for 20 cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> so and that didn't go well at all. Um, no one likes a sake brick, Rick. <laughs> Well, no, that was genuinely the reason why it beat me going out and beat me coming in. That's, that's that's what happened over an eight-hour shift with nothing to do. And uh, so they're making you do the whole company rhetoric. And I've always just been, look, I'll do my job like to the best of my ability. Just don't expect me to act like I'm an American want needing tips for healthcare. Yeah, it, you you pay me minimum wage, so you'll get minimum effort. It, it's how it works. Exactly that. That is that is something. If if you have a minimum wage job, why are you breaking your back when you can go and sit in the bookies for that yeah. amount and do nothing? So, and I'm I'll get to the point of this because he's talking about selling phones to five year olds. He says, and, and he goes well into this. Like there's three of us getting dressed down behind the counter. He's standing in front. He says, the next person who comes through that door is getting sold a phone. And I shit you not, a seventy year old nun <laughs> with the full <laughs> rosemary breeds full get up walks in and I saw this psychopath try and convince a 70-year-old nun she needs an iPhone 9 or whatever it was at the time. <laughs> it was one of the most horrific things I've ever seen. But that was my little story did she buy the that phone? made me think, did she fuck? No. 
What was she looking for the bookies? No. Is that what she was doing? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea, but that, that would just never forget that that kind of meant. So if you're in that mentality of work, I can understand why having nothing is better than yeah. being in that. Well, Ryan Nicodemus, right? So right, he turned 30. Now, his best friend, who was so happy, who was the minimalist, which seems a, a weird title to have, his name was Joshua Fields Milburn. What a great who name. Who I'm 90% sure this man is a vampire. He's a weird-looking fella, man. He is a weird-looking fella. Mm. He um Weird-looking guy. The thing about double-barreled names is, where does it stop? If he's if he has a if he meets a woman and she's got a double-barreled name and they marry, do they double-barrel double-barrel their names? And then if their kid meets a double-barrel double-barrel name kid, and they marry. Do they double barrel, double barrel, double barrel, double barrel? Where does this insanity stop? Pick a fucking name is what I'm saying. Joshua. <laughs> You're meant to be a minimalist. Drop one of the names. <laughs> and w- what Joshua Field Milburn says, and this is why I loved him, because he mentioned Marie Kondo. Hallowed be her name. Do you know, have you heard of Marie that- Kondo? Is that the little Chinese lady who says you'll be happy if you fold your jeans or something like that? She's Japanese, Rick. Uh- <laughs> oh, that, that that's an honest mistake. Don't, don't try and hang me out to dry in this culture on that one. Um, she is, hands down, again, another amazing woman. So the minute he mentioned her, I'd already read her book. I was like, okay, Joshua, what should I do? <laughs> Tell me what to do, Joshua. Do you know what? It's so funny you're saying that because at this exact point in my notes, I've just got, is this the reason why you left your job, Matt? Question mark. Possibly, (laughs) yeah. Because it says give up everything. But they don't, do they? I completely misunderstood the film the first time I I saw it. So the the thing is, Family Guy did a great episode uh, where Lois gives up everything because she watches Marie Kondo. Yeah, and in the end, in the end, she just she splits. And as we're watching this, I'm sitting there going, "Well, I don't find this very funny." And then my missus is <laughs> my missus is sitting there pissing herself, going, "That's you, you fucking idiot." <laughs> Going to be writing a letter to Seth MacFarlane. He's went too far this time. I don't mind him making jokes about HIV and people dying, but giving your stuff away, you've crossed the line, Seth. <laughs> I like minimalism. You can't joke yeah. about that. Don't joke about something <laughs> I'm into. Joke about stuff other idiots are into. But yeah, basically, minimalist wankers. That that's what I reached so, very early on. I I think you've got you've got paranoid at how mean I would be during this <laughs> podcast, and you've went completely the other way. I've, no, no, not at all. I I thought when I was watching it again, Rick is gonna rip me a new one. <laughs> as am I. So Ryan and Joshua, they they write a book, right? They're basically, they're going to go from corporate life to minimalist life. And they they do a book tour. And then the whole film is basically about them doing a book tour. And it was just, I found it really lovely. I had some things about that. I didn't like the fact that they hugged everyone they talked to and they both had to sit. Even the same cadence when they said, I'm a hugger. It's almost like, (laughs) I don't know. They know it's going to be weird men lacking affection in their lives coming up to them. And then a physical contact will create a bond which will 
result in more cash for them to buy shit. I don't know. Am I too cynical with that one then? <laughs> but when I saw that, I thought, well, Rick's bound to mention something about, well, the pandemic took care of those idiot hugger folk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope, I hope they held on to some hand sanitizer. Um, I'm a hugger. So, Sorry, dude. But, I'm a hugger. And these men are looking at him going, what? But... um. And it really, again, as a as a comedian, there's nothing sadder than people saying, "I hope one person shows up so we can do still do the show." Yeah, there's there's nothing that makes you more upset. Going, oh, I have to be the arsehole that doesn't want to live and die by the business because I don't want to make a prick of myself to one person. Because as much as they're minimalists, it's still again, this is the common theme for this entire podcast and every documentary, pretty much we're watching, is bums on seats. You'd be a minimalist all your hey. bloody like. You got to sell books, right? Because you got to eat, and food costs money, as I'm finding out. And and not just that, they live in America. Yeah. So healthcare. Yeah. Healthcare is massive. How much it's going to cost? I mean, if you don't have the correct medical insurance, and someone in your family has an accident or becomes like mm. ill with something serious, you're talking hundreds of thousands of pounds. Mm. And that's not for a cure. That could just be to like maintain a, a quality of life. So, like, I, I again, I can understand why they're shipping this documentary out because they will need some cash on the back end. So, you had um, Tammy Strobel. She lives in a shed. <laughs> she lives in a tiny house. You could, you could <laughs> quit your job if we simplified. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> I'm trying to get my missus round to this idea, right? Uh, and I said to her the other day, I went, look. See that caravan? That caravan's like twenty grand. We could just buy that and live in that. Yeah, she told me to do one. She's not having it. I'll tell you what, uh the old flatmate when he was first looking to move out, um he was showing me how bad housing is in London. Right. And there is people that you can hire like a camping cot in someone's kitchen on a night so you can commute to London yeah. for two hundred quid a week. Yeah sleep in their kitchen, go to work, and then you're not allowed to talk to them during the day or something like that. Yeah. And these tiny houses, I think, within city centres, uh, I think they will pop up and I think they'll be used. Well, they're popping up already. So there's a place now called The the Pod. And basically you've got the time. Have you ever seen The Fifth Element right, yes. with Bruce Willis? And it's the little thing he lives in. So it's got the tiniest little bathroom and it's got a bed that folds up and then it's all about that, yeah, right? Yeah, I've stayed it's, in one of those. Yeah. Right, okay. Well, these are now, you, you can buy one of these for, I mean, it, from a London point of view, really cheap. They're like a quarter of a million pound uh, <laughs> for a place yeah, that's smaller than my box room. That place that I used to um, uh, work in the phone shop, they sold a garden shed for half a million so people could have extra land is what they were hoping to purchase. Yeah. So. If you, th- if you think as that magnifies over time. It's insane. Um, it's just genuinely yeah. insane. So I'm all about the tiny houses. I- I'm on board with that for, you know, the, the go-getters that need to be in the city centre of London to work. But what I fuck with, I want to live in one. Yeah. Like, I'm not buying I'm not buying down south because by the time we've saved up, we'll be able to get somewhere that actually makes us feel good about ourselves up north. Well, yeah, there is that. But you're going to be up north. <laughs> I'm such a sufferer when it comes to we got this north south divide. Um, so it's weird because we, we don't even register this as a problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're too busy disliking the town next to yeah. us to worry about what you southerners think. So, Nicodemus, 
he says, and we hear this in a lot of documentaries because there's a very common theme. I think, I think if you're going to be in a documentary, you have to fill out a certain, uh, you have to meet a certain criteria because he says these words, up until my parents divorce. <laughs> oh, your parents were divorced. Oh, okay. So you've got issues. Right. Okay. But everybody's parents are divorced. So, you know, you're not on your own there, Nicodemus. So, yeah. And then they went into the fact that his uh, mother went down a dark hole after the divorce and started doing crack and yeah. FBI were breaking down the doors and things. Not just doing then, crack. Uh, she was making crack and she was a dealer of crack. See, this is where he gets his business ingenuity from, then, isn't it's it? Entrepreneurship so, 101. <laughs> yeah. And uh, then we get the vampire guy who looks like. Did you ever watch Beavis and Butthead? Yes. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. You nailed it. Like, I was trying to. Why is that hair bothering me so much? And it is Beavis. Beavis and fucking Butthead is what he Mate, looks like. Yes. Oh, the whole way through, I'm like, I've met him before, haven't I? <laughs> And then he tells you a sad story about how he was working and then he'd had a voicemail from his mom that he didn't check for a few hours and they found out that, you know, she was ill. Then she passed away. I, I don't know if you noticed this, but every time he mentions it, that his mom passing, he also mentions his wife left him in the same week. Yeah. <laughs> in the same week, by the way. And it's, he gets the voicemail from his mother. Uh, she she passes away. Yeah. And... And that re- that broke that broke Joshua. Yes, without he a doubt. He keeps referencing it throughout the whole film, and, and, and it comes up a lot. But then you see footage of him reading from his book in the desert. Brilliant, brilliantly done. How artistic! No. Are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I'm being a bit of a sarky prick. Like, like imagine if the movie Fight Club was pathetic. <laughs> 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 it is. That's all I can think of it. You know, it, he is basically taking that opening monologue from Fight Club, yeah. to sprinkle in a bit of train spot, and instead of doing something interesting, he's got rid of the old pairs of shoes he doesn't wear anymore. The, well, the weird thing about shoes, right? So there's a great quote about from the 1990s, the Americans went on a buying spree that was unprecedented in human history. And whenever they talk about a buying spree, whenever they show those Black Friday chaos people fighting over stuff, they'll always then click cut to a shot of a pair of Nikes, right? They've, there's always mm. a pair of trade. And it's like everyone just thinks uh, capitalism, Nike. That's the way they think, right? It was just it just seems it's an overused trope to to use capitalism and Nike. And the, the goods were fueled. All the goods we were buying, they're all from China. So someone was doing okay. We were helping the Chinese. That was a good thing. Uh, and they do. They go into the whole sweat labor. And I agree with that. I think that should be looked into. That shouldn't be allowed. The, the first time that story broke that we haven't kids in sweatshops making these clothes, it should have been the end of it. But it just relentlessly pressed on because of uh, consumerism. I do agree with that. But when... I, I do like the guy, especially the Beavis guy, I think is complete emperor's new clothes from that monologue he does of, yeah. do I need the TV stand, the bed tables? I'm like, well, you're clearly single these days. You don't need it. But unfortunately, when you're in a relationship for over 10 years, you, she needs to go out the house and buy something on the fucking weekend. Because <laughs> you're so, so she's got weird. To do. So she's got to balance out her happiness by buying stuff. Uh, let, let's get a couple more cushions. That'll fill the void. I understand that that thought process to it there's um there's some great stats in here so now bear in mind this documentary is a few years old or four years old 
We've so much stuff, there is 2.2 billion square foot storage industry. Now, to put that into context, I have a very, very clever friend called Jim. So I sent him the maths and he told me, so that's about 204 million square meters, right? That is 28,000 football pitches. Wow. That's how much storage space there is. But I don't know how high up that goes. So that basically is about the size of London within the M25. In America, they've got they've got that, the big yellow storage company. That's incredible, isn't it? How clever is my friend Jim? Yeah, that's 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 maths I can't do. And he could be lying, right. but who's gonna check? Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not me and you, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says, uh, we are a mission based company. What's that, son? What is that? What is a mission based company? I've worked in a lot of companies. Everyone's got a mission. So I hate the rhetoric of business. I, I, I detest it. My brother's a marketing manager and there'll be and this it's people sitting around a table trying to claim credit for something that was going to happen anyway is a lot of what marketing is. So like he was telling us around Christmas time, there, there was one guy uh, saying that he sent a tweet that doubled the footfall the following Monday, it's just like, no, that was the first day of the school holidays. Yeah. Not you tweeting yeah, yeah. Santa's coming. And and then they uh, they go into fast fashion. This this bemuse me. Anyone who tries to keep up with this is it's it's a mental illness within itself. Where it's they actually have fifty two seasons a year now is what the fashion industry's yeah. made. They used to have two. So you feel used to be where winter summer. Yeah, That's yeah. that I hadn't moved I hadn't moved off the metric standard of fashion <laughs> either. This is I mean, I'm not the right person because it's weird. I'm on the back end of a min- minimalist problem, so we mate. Uh, since I've had so many years unemployed and stuff, I've got a friend with a spending problem. He became O C D when he got his own place. So he loves going to like top man, top shop, buying all these clothes. He's a proper fashionable guy, but he's got no space for them. So once every six months, you'll dump a bin yeah. bag on my driveway. And um, I've got a bunch of ill-fitting clothes that I couldn't have afforded for. So I can understand that I'm, a, <laughs> I'm, I'm basically the equivalent of, um, oh, what's it called? Like, uh, do you know the rubbish tip, the shoot? I'm the end <laughs> of the shoot for him. <laughs> And there was once, and I don't like the stuff he buys because it's like uh, it's modern day studenty type clothes. So like one T-shirt would be like a massive picture of Rihanna's face in different colors and very bright. And you know, I'm just Ugh. not that kind of way inclined fashion wise. And I rang out. I said, I found the top of yours I really like. It's like a long sleeve one. It's really nice fabric. It's got like a picture of a bear on it. And he went, Where did you go in that? I went, oh, I just did a gig. He went, That's a fucking pajama top. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it's really comfortable. It's the only thing I like in the bag. <laughs> just throughout the uh, just throughout the documentary, it was just screaming at me, and I just I remember the profound effect it had at the time. It really this this documentary changed my life, and I genuinely I feel so much happier for having seen it. I really do. I think the most profound thing in the documentary is the Jim Carrey quote. I think Jim Carrey is an absolute legend. So do I. Yeah, I actually. love the way he sees the world. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I'd, lo- I'd love everyone to make it and be rich and famous so they can see that that's not the answer. Yeah. I thought that was superbly put. I, I lo- I'm a big fan of Jim Carrey. But I think this court is being hijacked by these two guys who want to travel around together <laughs> and get over the divorce. But when he's, when Joshua's talking about his mum's death and he's going through that whole Ikea list and he says, you know, what espresso maker defines me? 
Uh, I can answer that question, Joshua. It's the Bialetti Mocha Express from Italy. That's the one I've got. Very good, sir. You won't put a foot wrong if you go for one of those. That <laughs> that didn't get chucked out, I tell you that. I don't mind giving away everything bar shoes and stuff related to coffee. We we then see a guy who's like built like a brick shit house with a top top knot man bun. And he's talking about how he went into financial accounting, became a partner, and then went into the office and cried and left. Yeah. And and then started saying things like, life's an adventure. And then I wrote again, this is why you left your job, didn't you? <laughs> but the thing is, you never hear from that guy again. So, you know, what happened no, to him? No, he is, he struck me as a bit like, remember, uh, I don't know, if, I think this one's lost to the ether, I might have to redo it, but there's one, the Flat Earth documentary. You saw other people with Flat Earther companies I think he's another one who's wrote a book. Right, a rival minimalist. Not, not even like a, but within the same field, and because they don't have houses. Um, <laughs> and, Very good, Wharton. Very good. Uh, and it looks like they caught him at a book signing. If he was just a customer buying a book and he had that level of confidence, I'd want him arrested because he's gonna, he's, he's a problem. The reason I liked that Gail Ski tea, right? She's got a PhD in hoarding, and I'm a hoarder, and that's what I'm trying to stop doing. So uh, I might email her and see if she's willing to swap that for a comedy degree. <laughs> I might get some more. <laughs> might get some more look in the market on that one. But every, every time that they hit you with a stat, I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I've given up my stuff." And then I was sitting there going, "Oh, I've given up my stuff." <laughs> <laughs> so the 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 Beavis and the Crack Baby, uh, their live show looks terrible. It just seemed like they were just repeating the same thing over and over, which again, every live show is, but it didn't look like a great show to go and see. There was no whole heap. But they started building a following, right? So they got some, I mean, they got an ABC America, right? And that's, you know, that's got bajillions of viewers. So after that, that's just the snowball effect. So... Oh, it is. It is. It's accumulation of attention and, and marketing themselves very wisely. But I detest those morning shows i think those morning shows are, are of zero value absolutely zero value you go on and you got that woman going oh my god where's your girlfriend put her shoes if you're going to get rid yeah. of everything and, and it's just like oh you can write out what they're going to say before it's going to happen it's just it's just tedious and it, it, again you're kind of advertising to either the unemployed or the infirmed it's like the people who can't get up to change the channel have to sit and watch those shows yeah I, I think where this started for me, where that seed was sown to get to that minimalist thing, in Pulp Fiction, Samuel L. Jackson says to John Travolta, I want to walk the earth. And he said, what, you want to become a bum? And he's like, no, I don't want to become a bum. You know, I just want to get rid of my stuff and walk the earth. Yeah, get Getting adventures like like Kane in Kung Fu. Yeah. And I, I yeah. think that worked for me. That was, And I think that was the first seed where I went... Oh yeah, how cool would it be to not have any stuff? Because I've I've travelled the planet a few times, and when I've done that, all I had was a rucksack on my back. I'd never been happier. Although to be fair, I was very stoned and very drunk most of the time, and I spent a lot of time yeah. in opium dens. That might have had a little bit yeah. to do with the happiness. Oh, I'm just going from brothel to brothel. <laughs> this is so me. This lifestyle suits me. I'm so glad I'm out of the rat risk. I'm glad you brought this up because I've started writing in capital letters in my notes. Going, right, now they are showing what they have packed. Right. On the terms of a documentary, Timothy Treadwell is turning in a bear's stomach right now. 
Oh, if you could see, if if you're willing to go to a laundrette, you only need to pack three pairs of socks, and then and then you're good to go, aren't you? You're good to go. And you've always got to see footage of those two walking because they've got nothing to do when they sit down. <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, Colin Wright, the entrepreneur who became a full-time traveller? So basically, he's homeless. He's got two bags, and that's his entire life. And all he does is sleep on people's sofas, and he writes about uh, traveling. Now, I've been homeless. I was homeless once in Spain for a while. Uh, it, it's not very nice. I was living on a rubbish tip. Uh, we'd go into. Do you ever have you ever put your drink down in a nightclub, and you've turned round and it's yeah. gone? Yeah, mindswell. Right, that's because of me, right? Because we we would just basically <laughs> go into a nightclub at night in Spain and just hoover up everybody's drinks. But this guy made it work. He absolutely made it work. <laughs> yeah. So uh, fair play to him. Whenever I picture you doing that stuff, I, I don't know why. I always just picture the little rascal. You just got a little, <laughs> you got a little flat cap on. You're chewing on a tweed. I tell you what, it is, governor. <laughs> and smoking roll-ups as well. That always gives the uh, the element. Following around Bill Sykes doing a song whenever he turns around <laughs> wanting to hit you. Do you know what I think you don't you don't like about their book tour? I think it reminds you of the time you spent on the open mic scene in comedy. I, I, I love that you were polite enough to pretend that that time has came to an end. <laughs> that is, we are really faking it till we make it on this documentary right now. <laughs> Fuck me. Yeah, it did. It, it completely triggered us on that. It looked awful. It absolutely looked awful to me. And, um, and their heads were trying to not go down, right? I mean, you've done enough gigs to know where you're like, oh, this is going to be dreadful. And there's three people and three of them. Well, actually, and there's four of them that don't want to be there, and you're one of them, and you're the guy on stage. Yeah, yeah it's fucking awful. There was um, oh, there was a one just before the lockdown that was fucking horrific in Portsmouth. Um, the way they, it was the only one we couldn't sell tickets for. Right. So they were private members said they had 350 members. I think the company got a fee out of them. Um, and then building to another one. So we came in, set up, and they wouldn't tell people that the comedy's on or in the bar. So they they were like in a long room. We're in the middle of the room. They're in the far corner by the bar. So like I, I sat on a stool and said, uh, my opening line was, well, you're not going to take this seriously. Why should I? <laughs> <laughs> and it, it went all right. I, I did as well as what I could because I wasn't stood in a corner looking at empty seats pretend to do one-liners. But I, I, hate, I hate those gigs so fucking much. But then I'll do... Then I'll do a shift. I'll mention Carphone Warehouse and realise this is why I do it. Yeah. and But it's not the people's fault, right? The people who are in the corner have gone down to the place that they always drink at and they just want to have a drink. Mm. They don't want a prick like you coming along or a prick like me going, oh, I'll tell you, you know what's funny about when you wipe your ass? Uh, they don't want to hear the funny musings of me and you. They want to sit in the corner oh, with their mates. Don't and have a burn. Beer. Don't. Do not burn your best material <laughs> on this podcast, Matt. That's, He's got rid just, of the uh, wipe his steady ass down. Not that ten minute wiping my ass routine that we're going to have to. <laughs> they, they is, the first TV show they go on to advertise uh, their shtick, right? Their uh, their product. He has the insincerity levels set to about a hundred and twelve percent. I think he's just awful, absolutely awful. Who's that one, Beavis? Um, no, the guy whose TV show they go on, the first guy before they get to uh, 
that they're oh they're dead behind the eyes. Oh, yeah, it was just awful. There was a great Russell Brand one when he kind of called them out. And do you remember when Russell Brand almost became a revolutionary when he flipped out and said no one should vote? He had this moment when they were asking him questions about his clothes, and he went on a tirade that was brilliant. I did a gig, uh, one of my first ever gigs when I first tried stand up, and I was the opening act. And Russell Brand was the closing act. And my dad was in the audience. It's the only time he's ever watched me. And afterwards, we were all sitting there having a pint. And my sister went, so what do you think of Matthew? And my dad went, wasn't as funny as that last guy, was he? (laughs) 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 Thanks, Dad. I quit stand-up for five years after that comment. (laughs) So so just quickly, we meet another character that's that's very intimate. Like She's only in it for a second. I thought they were going to get more footage out of her. But there was um, the lady that was diagnosed with MS. Yeah. And I believe, did she start the 33 piece of cloven thing? Yeah, she um Yeah, Courtney Carver. Yeah, she created free, free, free. So you wear 33 items for three months. I think I'm, I've am i done 10 in 110 days. <laughs> <laughs> and that's because you complained I wore a vest one day. So <laughs> that would have been nine. Yeah, no more vests. But... Um, She's the one who uh, says that since she's been diagnosed with MS, uh, chucking her clothes out uh, has now cured her MS. Yeah, basically she's stopped being in the rat race, and she's and the, what, I love it when they go and the doctors have never seen this before. Really, is that true? Do you think? Maybe the doctor needs to right. see more people. Some people get better. I know, I know, but doctors are. Have you ever been to the doctors and they just Google what you're telling them while you, while you're sat there? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, it, that's heartbreaking. It's terrifying. Because I was like, oh, I did that at home. After the NBC News, uh, after they were on the NBC News, their next uh, their next event, the bookshop owner says to them, you don't need that many chairs. Ken Burns only needed six, 60 chairs. That's Ken Burns, right? He makes some of the best documentaries on the planet. Is that Cathy Come Home? Um well, he, no, he did okay. the he did the Civil War one, like the ten part Civil War, ten part Vietnam one. He he makes the greatest documentaries, and he only needed sixty chairs. The minimalists they had people sitting on the bookshelves. There were over two hundred people showed up, and you should have seen. They were so proud, and I was I was chuffed for them. And that speaks you know volumes what, this for is... what the Americans think of Ken Burns. So I don't think our podcast is going to go down well in America, Rick, is what I'm saying. Oh, Christ. Uh, we had an American exchange student in college. No one is understanding 50% of this podcast. <laughs> they they do not. They don't work well with Geordie. Like American listening to Geordie is like a dog on an escalator. It's just uncomfortable. <laughs> It was like Kevin Costner and Dances with Wolves, just you couldn't interact with anyone. <laughs> There's a great stat. In 1983, companies spent $100 million advertising to children. In 2006, companies spent $17 billion. And that's when $17 billion was a lot of money. So this is where the, the documentary does touch on themes I agree with. Right, okay. uh, and one of them massively is children interacting with screens, iPads, laptops, um, and being market and and adverts now going directly to children yep. and parents not even seeing them. Yeah, that is all not like the attention spans are going to be. I mean, my attention span is fried. 
I've done that to myself by the amount of time I've spent alone with two laptops, one playing a game, one playing a TV show, and then playing a game on the bloody Xbox at the same time. I get bored if I'm only doing one thing I like at a time now. So if you can imagine that to children, and I'll never forget, I read a study or an article that said there was a study. I've never read a study. I don't think anyone ever has. They did a. They were talking to the people in Silicon Valley, and they have like on-site schools, so you can like you can move to Silicon Valley, and your kids are put into the schools right, okay. with all your co-workers' kids. And in Silicon Valley, like to say that probably the most forward-thinking place you could possibly work. They've done the tests where their children are limited to like half an hour a day on the laptop, yeah. and it's basic arithmetic to build their IQ. Now, obviously, they don't want that to be too well known because they're selling, they're making the laptops for kids not to yeah. use. But I think that is a telltale sign that that is not a good idea for uh, that just amount. Of- and, and it's funny because you listen to this in five years' time when we all get microchipped and have you know cinema screens in our own eyes. Yeah. We're going to think we were too funny. That is the same way people thought I was sat too close to the TV to watch Captain Bucky or Hair at the age of six. Said the same thing yeah. back on that. Or Sonic the Hedgehog would have done that to us. So just quickly, I want to touch on this guy and then I've got a, a theory on, on where's misplaced within this documentary. So we meet the panic attack guy on TV, the, the news reporter. Right. And I liked him. I thought he was very self-deprecating. He was funny. And he's, it showed you footage of him. Like he just... It wasn't a great panic attack. I was hoping for better. Like I, I sat upright when this was about to show the footage. He wrote a um, he wrote a book called Ten Percent Happier. His name was Dan Harris, and basically, yeah, he mm. worked his way up to the almost the top of the chain, um, and on national TV in front of millions of people because he'd he'd served time in Iraq and Afghanistan, didn't he, as a reporter? As a wartime correspondent. Yeah. yeah so. Um, yeah, he, uh, he basically had a what he calls a meltdown, a panic attack. It's an interesting thing because he then talks about me- adding meditation yeah. to it. as a, And there's an interesting thing, so I'm, I'm looking into quitting smoking. Um, one of the things is to, if you even just have a vape pen, one of the, one of the huge uh, addictive points is the, the deep, long, purposeful breaths you take yeah. on it. Because people don't spend time taking deep breaths. Mm. So it's just when I quit smoking, I'm going to have to leave every hour to go outside and just sigh at how bored I am. <laughs> <laughs> is what I'm actually doing when I have a cigarette. That's I, I, I don't need a cigarette every hour. I just need to go outside and sigh for a second. There's a bloke in it, right? And now he went minimalistic and his wife semi-joined him, right? Which is very similar to me and my missus. And she says his side of the closet looks a lot emptier than mine. And we're okay with that. <laughs> He's in. I'm not fully in. It was just lovely. Is that is that because here's another thing I noticed. Uh, for some reason, all minimalists have great hair. You watch that couple that are like just making a salad while being interviewed. Like they couldn't have made the fucking salad later. Um, <laughs> oh, no, no. We've got a 30-second interview. Shall we feed the kids? No, no, no. They have to know how healthy we are. You know, and they've all got like kind of um, Charlie Harper, two and a half men curtains with thick, long looking Italian hair. And it, part of me thinks, oh, if I get rid of me shit, will it grow back? It's not going to grow back. It's not going to. I've got to get used to that fact for a start. And I don't want to throw me hats out. Yeah, we don't meet too many more people within this. 
You got you got a guy of six kids, and you're like, if I had six kids, yeah, I would sign up to either be a Jehovah's Witness or a minimalist. Yeah. Anything that cuts down the cost on that. Um, but I think that's misplaced their ideals. Because you talk to everyone. Everyone says the same thing. I was, hey, guess what? I was successful. Yep. I wasn't happy. It's not the stuff they give up on that made them happy. It's ambition. Yeah, I'd have to I'd bow into that. Yeah. I think I think it's truly the stress of ambition and the disappointment of learning your true potential. It breaks people. It absolutely yeah, does. Absolutely. Oh, I'm never going to be that. Oh, okay. Ah. Oh. Oh. But I, but like, I really want it. Yeah. And to stop caring about that is a massive. That's a massive leap. It just it makes you a lot happier not wanting that. I've been like it for years. I've just got a lot of computer games as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, President Jimmy Carter, right, in the 70s, they cut to this and he gives a speech. It's quite moving. This is what they wrap it up on, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. He says, too many of us, self-indulgent and consumption, we're consumed by it. Human identity is no longer defined by what one does, but by what one owns. Owning things and consuming things does not satisfy our longing for meaning. Material goods cannot fill lives that have no meaning or purpose. I, I love this documentary, right? There was, the, and the, the fi- I think the final quote I wrote down was, love people and use things because the opposite never works. See, see that I agree with. Yeah. But having a heartfelt message from the guy who designs tiny homes about how we use too much space, I feel is a bit like, you know, interviewing Kim Jong-un about how much he feeds his people. He's <laughs> <laughs> not going to get... Well, there is a self-interest involved. But it, here's what really surprised me, right? Because there's a few neuroscientists, neuropsychologists, a lot of the PhD people. Uh, I looked at my bookshelves because I was like, oh, that name rings a bell. Oh, I've got their book. Oh, that name rings a bell. Oh, I've got their book. But the weird thing is, I didn't buy the minimalist book because that would seem like you missed the point of the whole documentary <laughs> by buying their book. So, yeah, I think I'm better off for watching that documentary. I, like I said, I enjoyed talking about it more than I enjoyed watching it. <laughs> I, I have no problem that we did it, but, but like once they're going, and seriously, as so, uh, again, I don't watch it to inform, I always watch it for entertainment. And they're just going, and, and, and then you, you fold your t shirt like that, and then that's the size of the bag you can travel around with. Then I'm like, this is dull as fuck. <laughs> what, what surprised me was the bloke who cut down his life to almost nothing and was homeless, basically, and living on his mate's cat uh, sofas. Both the bags he had, neither of them had wheels on. How are you going to, what, you just carry them things constantly? Surely you're going mm. to want something with wheels on, right? To wheel around. That would just make your life easier. I don't know why that bothered me. Uh, that bothered me a hell of a lot. Because you've been traveling. You've been traveling. That's right, why. okay. Because that just... Because did I ever tell you me and, me and our lasses had a chat about doing something like that, like uh, travel the world? Right. And uh, I, I kiboshed the shit out of <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was just like, look, uh, no. Because the problem is, if we travel the whole world and you're still not happy, then we need to break up. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's nowhere else to go. <laughs> there is nowhere else to If you've been to fucking everywhere on the planet and you're still not happy, then the problem is the person next to you. And I don't <laughs> need that statistic. Because <laughs> if you think I'm going to be sunshine and smiles while you want to do a four-hour trek into a jungle so you can get a photograph of a fucking elephant, <laughs> you got another thing coming. It's worth it, man. Elephants are quite spiritual, man. Shut up. She, <laughs> listen, Matt, here's the thing. I would go traveling with you 
I, I would see the opium dens, but I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want the, you know, what we having for tea tonight to be the most exciting thing we're doing in Thailand. There's a different because because it was a learning experience when we started going on holidays together. Because you don't even go on. I, I only ever went on fun holidays, right? And that'll be if the lads, a stag do, and few and far between. Never had many holidays like abroad holidays or anything like that. But going with our last, you have to learn not to have a fun time, but to have a nice time. Yeah. And from the age of like 12, 13, when we've started to try and get served and drink and, and where a night out can go to and, and and your stories you come back with to yeah, that was that was that was a really nice burger. Yeah. It's was, it was difficult. <laughs> Should we go back to that restaurant? <laughs> Exactly, and uh, yeah. So, there's there's my own little two cents on this one. This documentary gets a fucking one. <laughs> this documentary from me, you're never gonna guess, Rick. Uh, actually, I'm gonna give it. Uh, I'm gonna give it a five. I've got. I've got. You've got to get, you, you changed your life it on it. But I'm. I, I, I grade on a curve, and at least Kate Nash had some form of problems. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> Oh, I was successful, so I thought I'd be successful doing nothing instead. I'm like, fuck these guys. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I was a big fan of Nicodemus, a big fan of Field Mason, or whatever his name is, Double Barrel Fella. But, uh, yeah, I'm not going to buy the book. Um, Would I watch this documentary again? Yeah, I probably would. Am I going to re-go through my stuff after watching this documentary and get rid of more of my shit? Yeah, I think I am. I think that's exactly what what I'm going to do. And I wonder if that Bret Hart t-shirt gives you enough joy to make it out of the box. <laughs> the thing is, my missus, when she saw that I was watching this again, she was like, oh, could, could Rick not talk you out of this? He doesn't strike me as the sort of guy who would want to watch this shit. And I went, I'm only watching it just to wind Rick up. This is my... <laughs> <laughs> That's good, right? Would you? Um, That's okay. So, are you going to try and get your missus to watch it? Nah, nah, that would mean I'd have to watch it again. It's gone. <laughs> this is never going to darken your door ever again, <laughs> right? No, that that one was it. Like, because normally, uh, and, and my missus a little bit more similar to you with documentaries. Do you know what I mean? She wants nice. She wants uplifting. Whereas I'm like, watch this, watch this, watch this. He jerked him off in the car. Can you believe that? And just, just like you got me to watch me just for that. It was mental. <laughs> so, yeah. That, that it, listen, if you're into mentalism, check it out, and you'll you'll join them. But you'll see the looks in their eyes. They're not too dissimilar to the flat earthers or other cults that we've fucking watched. Yeah, and and they done a number on me. So uh, be careful if you uh, watch oh, it. Oh God. God, did they get Matt Wills? And this is what I wanted to do. I missed this point out, but it's when they're in the uh, the books, they're doing the tour, and they're starting to fill out. And I just made a note of, look at all these Matt Wills there <laughs> standing there, all all getting a fix of their new fat. <laughs> Busy telling the missus they'll chuck out the parachutes when they get home, and this is the new them. <laughs> oh, look at these adorable Matt Wills. What a signed copy. Look at them. So uh, that's a thumbs up from me. It's a thumbs down from Rick. Uh, thank you very much for joining us uh, wherever you may be. Uh, we have more episodes coming up. So, yeah, come back. Click subscribe. Do all the stuff you'd normally do and just spread the word. Press the share. You can email us. You can Twitter us. You can Instagram us. Do all of that stuff. Rick, say goodbye, my friend. Uh, thanks for listening. And goodbye. Till next time. Ta da.
Hallo, ja. 